Hi, I'm Jean Godfrey June, and this is Megan O'Neill. We are the beauty editors at Goop. And you're listening to Goop's podcast series, The Beauty Closet, where we talk about all things beauty, clean, non-toxic beauty, skincare, hair care, body care, self-care, and the way we think about beauty both as individuals and in the wider culture. If you want to know what the best oils are for getting healthy-looking, glowing skin, shiny hair, and why we should all be eating turmeric, then you're going to be really into our guest today. Shrankla Holacek is the founder of Uma, a skincare brand based on Ayurveda. Her face, hair, and body oils are some of the most beautiful we've ever seen. And her candles, may I say. She makes creams. She makes balms. I could go on. Shrankla herself has the glowiest skin and the glossiest hair and calm, confident, poised presence. We want what she's having. She's one of those people. I always want what Tronkla's having, and she definitely wins the prize for having the coolest ancestor story. When it's not COVID, Tronkla goes back and forth to India regularly. I would someday love to go to see the farm where she harvests all the botanicals. It's so cool, and she employs mostly women. And Tronkla herself just sort of oozes wisdom. She knows everything about plants and their powers. She's amazing. And yes, I'm dying to go there too. I can only imagine how beautiful it is there. India in general, I found so beautiful. And then the way her products look and smell and work and feel. Can you imagine the gardens growing the botanicals? Oh, I want to go so badly. And I just love the way she talks about Ayurveda, the concept of food as medicine and using botanicals to treat skin and hair and overall health. It just makes me excited to know that I have power over my health and how I feel. And what could be more powerful than that? I first learned about Ayurveda. Do you remember when I, I had Oh, terrible, I remember. <laughs> you remember. It was like I was 26. I had terrible adult acne. It just came out of nowhere. Terrible uh, acne, but still beautiful. Like, uh, I don't know that there's any other person on earth like, <laughs> like you that could be totally broken out and also like stunningly beautiful. Oh, you're, anyway. that's, that's very nice. But honestly, when it's you have dark skin, I think it like you can get away with having terrible acne a little more. Like it's not like as red and blotchy. But anyway, it was yeah. there and it was upsetting and I hated my acne. So I went to see an Ayurvedic doctor for a few months. He was in Queens. And he would, he did all these amazing things. He would study my eyes to measure inflammation markers. And he gave me all these recipes for broths and herbs to eat. And he was like, make this broth. It had like celeriac root in it, not celery, but celeriac root, which is this like, mm, I remember fanciful looking root. I feel um, like I saw the root. Like maybe you bought it and then it was at the office. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it was like under my desk from like the farmer's market covered in dirt. <laughs> and so you make a broth with that and I would do that. And he was like, after a few weeks, you're going to get warts on your feet and that's the detox working and then your skin is going to get better. And that happened. Like I got a bunch Whoa. of warts on my feet and then Whoa. over like over the course of like three months, it was not overnight, but my acne totally cleared up. It's, so that, that was that amazing. I got into Ayurveda. Have you had any Ayurvedic experiences? Well, not as powerful as that at all. But I, I do remember when I went to India, I, I had to get that treatment where they drip the warm oil on your forehead for oh, like yeah. an hour and a half and it soaks into your hair. Yeah. 
And I did it and it felt amazing. And I remember that it took me six separate shampoos before my hair was ungreasy enough to be able to actually meet my friends for dinner. Like I had to just like take a shower, be be like, is it out yet? You know, it took the oil, really took a while to get out. But not kidding, my hair stayed noticeably like shinier. Like you could really tell a difference through many, many shampoos for about like a month and a half. Wow. Is, is it hot, warm oil they pour on you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's heaven. It like so the, the treatment feels so good. I, I want that. I feel like there's not – we need to find a place that does it here. That's great. I bet that – I bet there's some places. And I bet yeah. Shrankla knows what they are. <laughs> yeah. I want to find out. Okay. Let's get to Shrankla. Shrankla, we are so excited to talk to you today. You have – kind of the most incredible, glamorous origin story that I've heard practically. Can you tell us a little about your family's business? They were the pharmacists for the Indian royal family since the 1200s. And being the royal pharmacist involved running a farm for all the Ayurvedic herbs and essential oils that they needed. Yeah, fill us in on that. (laughs) It's so funny, Jean, that you say glamorous because I honestly, for the first 25 or longer years of my life, uh, definitely thought myself the very, very opposite of that. And while I won't (laughs) say that has changed entirely from the opposite perspective, I think uh, over the years, I've come to embrace a little bit of my Indian origins and the rural, earthy origins that I came from a little bit more. Growing up actually seemed a lot unglamorous, which is why I felt (laughs) that way, because in India, it's all, we're talking about organic farms. So it's not really sort of these lavender fields coming alive in France, as I say, it's more Mm. sort of like cow dung and people (laughs) working in 100 degree Celsius heat happily and all that, but with very earthy ways and sort of producing from the land that is in many ways one with you and with a deep sense of respect for the environment because that's how Indian farming, Indian development, Indian growth, especially in the most rural parts of the country where we are based, are. So it definitely felt like a way of life. I grew up eating dairy. I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. associate vegetarianism with veganism. I've always been vegetarian, but not vegan. But we had cows on our farm. So every day they'd get milked and uh, brought in and pasteurized. In fact, to this date, my parents don't drink milk from a box or a or a packet. <laughs> <laughs> milk comes in at 5.30 every morning and it gets pasteurized at home. And uh, wow. that's the milk we drink. So it was a very natural existence where you felt very much a part of the life and the environment you lived in. But again, in a very moderate, natural, not very cool seeming or glamorous way, if you will. (laughs) But in terms of the history, this farm has been in your family for all these years. Why did it start? How did it get passed down? I sort of like dug in even deeper about five years ago. But uh, around the 12th century in India, there was a dynasty change, if you will, within the ruling royal family in India. Mm. And at that time, my family came on as uh, the family physicians for the family. In India and in a lot of places in the East, 
traditionally things like medicine and a lot of expert crafts are passed down from generation to generation. And Mm. often it is in a little bit of secrecy. And as I unpacked that, I realized it wasn't about keeping things away in a proprietary way. Mm -hmm. It was more about ensuring that the person you pass the wisdom down to had both the uh, sense of work ethic, diligence, the required level of education and learning. You're talking about a lot of medicine that needs to be practiced with a lot of care and love mm-hmm. and regard for both the human being as well as the plant. So it passed down in my family from generation to generation. And uh, we still have the title, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somewhat nominal. I went to school with some of my friends from the royal family, and there used to be jokes about whip up uh, something, (laughs) someone's uh, henna concoction for someone's hair before a big date, or I know, but that's how it developed over seven or eight hundred years. Now, one of the interesting aspects or wrinkle in that if you will, was India was under British occupation from the 16th century to Mm -hmm. about 70 years ago. And it was a different system of life, which the British sort of wanted to maybe nationalize in a way that anything that seemed very ethnic, for lack of a better word, such as Ayurveda, Mm -hmm. was actually frowned upon in a big way, so much so that it was even outlawed. In some ways, you can see that it the natural system of medicine, when it's not well understood, flies in the face of someone who says that antibiotics are the only way to go, which is... And I'm not one that says they're not the way to go at all, (laughs) just to clarify. But, you know, over the years, we found a nice middle ground. But yes, there was that wrinkle about Ayurveda. So there was definitely some interesting challenges that presented themselves as sort of the gatekeepers of this ancient wisdom. As India got its independence, a lot of demand for essential oils that were farmed in India grew in the West, the jasmines, the Mm -hmm. Indian rose, things, the sandalwood that really isn't produced very many places in the world at all. And it made natural sense for my family to move into essential oil production because while people were doing acres of rice and wheat and so on, my family was doing that with sandwood and rose. So now their bread and butter is more focused on supplying the Estee Lauders or the Tom Fords with perfumery supplements or ginger essential oil that goes into making of natural chips and so forth. Mm, but, right. but the Ayurveda remains a treasured heritage in our family and much of our lives are led in an Ayurvedic way. Can you explain what Ayurveda is? Because what's so interesting is that you grew up in Mumbai, you live in LA now, but you grew up there and Ayurveda was and still is just part of everyday life. So can you can you explain what it is maybe through the context of how you grew up doing things like practicing yoga in school as a kid or using food and botanicals as medicine? I mean, simply put, it's the science of life. And in many ways, it is built and presented as such. For many years, for thousands of years, it was an oral tradition before it was actually written down by Charaka and Sushruta. But it's guidance on how 
best to live your life to thrive. And a bunch of that mm-hmm. guidance does fall into the quote-unquote medicinal realm so that you can take care of your body because that's arguably the way most of us think about our wellness and existence and how best to be we, as we can be. But the way Ayurveda is envisioned, it's as much guidance on your mental being, on your relationships, on Mm. how you release emotions from your body so that it doesn't build up as toxicity within your body. So Mm -hmm. in all, it's a guidance on living your life to be in the best state of balance as nature and environment envisioned it to be at the time of your birth. And because of that, it does present itself in not only things you do, quote unquote, for your wellness, as many of us now do, but just as a way of life, such as uh, the practice of Ritucharya, which is just changing your behaviors, your dietary habits, your exercise habits as seasons change to make your body more robust in its response to seasonal changes, such as we never ate anything that was not seasonally and locally grown. And the idea Um, being the environment around you is nurturing the plant life to respond in you in the best way possible. So there weren't avocados in the winter or mangoes (laughs) in the winter and things Mm. like that, just because those things are not the best suited to support your body in time. And that was just a way of life. Every day you went down to the fruit or vegetable cart and picked up what was there and that was prepared freshly for each meal. Similarly, during winter time or fall time, we would focus on vata pacifying exercises in my yoga classes that I've done since seven or eight years of age. And it was just natural Mm. for me to sort of seasonally switch up my practices every four months. Or the skincare, which often was made from fruits and vegetables and peels and ground up things and so on. For a lot of Indians, it always has been a way of life, whether it is in cold season, making these concoctions with 17 or 18 different spices that whether you like it or not, you have as a child. (laughs) (laughs) And and weird things, you know, that are made with lots of like raw ginger and turmeric and all of that. It's funny to see all those things become buzzy because we've done them all our lives. Right. Yeah. I love that it targets mind, body, spirit, relationships, all of it. That's such a good way to live. But why are oils and botanicals so, so important in Ayurveda? I think that they are becoming increasingly more important because of the evolution of the world we live in. And I'll take that in two, three different ways. One is oils in Ayurveda are considered to be looseners of toxins in the body. Mm. So very many of us do know what the practice of panchakarma is, which is a very intense detoxification ritual undertaken usually under the care of a very trained practitioner. Some of the old practices are not really practiced anymore. 5,000 years ago, there was even leaching to purify your blood. (laughs) There was a lot of vomiting and a lot of enemas. Some of it still goes on. The idea was just literally loose 
loosening up your body with the ingestion and the oleation principles of oils, lots and lots of massages, lots and lots of shirodhra, which is the oil pouring on your third eye. And you go through pounds, like kilos of oil just pouring over that to basically rid yourself of all the emotional stuff that is built in. So number one, oil is considered a major loosener of stuff in the body. And that's when I typically talk about sort of your carriers. Even if you're having a few bad days, not going to the bathroom with that much regularity, and Ayurvedic will tell you to take a spoonful of ghee, which is clarified butter with milk at night, or if things are really problematic, a little bit of castor oil. I always caution that castor oil and turfla <laughs> should be taken <laughs> by anyone who sort of is a sensitive or by pregnant women, but that's except that's- if they're trying to go into labor, which I did, and it worked. Oh my gosh! <laughs> See, that is oh my! It's so funny. Did it actually work for you? Because they caution you against that. They. If they, you're trying to prevent the labor. <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to prevent labor. But it was, yeah. I, I was like a day late and I was like, I'm doing this. I'm having a spoonful of this. And I did go into labor. So huh. That is so amazing. And in fact, that's <laughs> literally why we say that pregnant women should not, unless they're trying to go into labor, do it. Because it sort of activates that general area. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> to, like, to move. Things. My mom used to feed that to me as a kid. And yeah, it works. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely gets things moving. So that's one in oil, the reverence in just loosening things up and getting rid of things when you're trying to sort of detox. But uh, importantly, in the beauty parlance, the concentration that essential oils then can present in way of bringing the medicinal and the aromatic properties of florals, plants, roots, which may not be available quite so readily in today's day and age as they were way back Mm. then, is a great reason why we use them so much in our wellness and beauty formulas. You condense down sort of thousands of petals and kilos and kilos of plants and roots to get a very small distilled amount of an essential oil, which effectively gets its word essential because it's the essence of a plant or a fruit or a vegetable or a flower that it's extracted from. Highly potent, highly fragrant. And we use it as medicine, especially as an alternate when we can't fresh batch constantly for someone we are producing things for, because it's in a very shelf stable and a concentrated format, which Mm. is another reason that it allows you to present medicinal, herbal, beauty solutions in such a pure plant-based format without the need for preservatives, mm. that it's a, it's a great way of continuing the healing natural programs that Ayurveda has such a rich history with. Now, you mentioned this, that the family farm is now a source for all these incredibly beautifully aromatic oils for fancy perfume. Obviously, it's in your blood to make beautiful, high quality oils. But how did you decide to go out on your own and make your own line? It didn't happen overnight. I say this a lot that it was not an epiphany. It was not a crushing need to sort of uh, say my piece. (laughs) Uh It wasn't any of that. It was that I had sort of both formally and informally learned such a rich amount of 
the plant world growing up with a basis in science and understanding how we tinker with sort of the machinery to ensure we get the purest extracts and sort of had a very holistic understanding of it, but didn't want to do it at all and wanted to do sort of consulting and management and all of that stuff, which is what I moved to the United States for and was doing with uh, McKinsey for several years. But Hmm. I think it was sort of a personal acceptance of everything from my, I don't know, my brownness and my accent and my saying things funnier than in the beginning. Honestly, I had a complex about it, but over the years, I became okay with it. And in that journey of acceptance, I sort of really saw in people a genuine interest and desire to learn more about things that I knew organically or had answers to that they wanted to see. Whether it was interest in seeing the real India and going to the real ashrams and practicing Mm -hmm. yoga, which in the beginning I was like, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? You know, I mean, you have it so good in the United States. But (laughs) as I sort of like peel the layers, people weren't just saying that. People honestly were interested. And as I talked about the healing modalities that I knew that skipped the laxative, why don't you try this? I I realized that there was a very, very well-meaning desire to know more and practice it. I had all this heritage behind me. So there was sort of almost a responsibility to share it in all its authenticity with the world. And then right. B was the pleasurable side of it because I knew how much people enjoyed our essential oils, our formulas, our rich elixirs developed just for the princess that had yeah. uh, a particular <laughs> desire for yeah. to grow her hair out or someone who wanted the most exotic bath ritual, etc. So marrying the very, very highly pleasurable pieces of taking care of yourself and using that as a pathway to tap in deeper to your internal intuition that tells you what is best for you. That amalgamation led me to found Uma. And it was simple. It was very, very humble, as it still is. And we figure out stuff every day and try to respond to what might resonate with the audience here and marry that with what we feel is very efficacious. But that's how it all came to be. And what did your family think about you going out on your own? (laughs) It was definitely an interesting response because for the years preceding that, they'd seen me me to an entirely different model and path of life. And then suddenly saying that was like a lot of excitement and a lot of confusion. I will say (laughs) that. My mother especially was very bewildered by that. But they were incredibly supportive is, is what I will say. What was interesting, especially I will say that my mother was a bit of a you know, tiger mom, for lack of a better word, growing up. (laughs) I was pushed like any Indian child is to do their engineering and get the Mm -hmm. highest marks and all of that stuff. Therefore, I'd always been pushed towards sort of like validation on these objective metrics. But when it came to doing this, it was interesting to see how my parents sort of like 
suddenly released all those constraints. And I don't know where that came from. Maybe they felt like I was old enough to chart my own path, but there's never been any conversation around objective metrics of uh, reputation and success. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's always more around, are you sure it's helping people? And it's so weird to <laughs> see my mother change tack like that. And I, like I said, it might be a lot of things. She's it might older, be that they I'm just older. love it. Yeah. <laughs> gosh, gosh, I hope so. Of course, sometimes the simplest explanation is... <laughs> There are so many oils that are good for you and they can end up smelling like a dirty health food store from the 70s. And yours, I'm thinking of, I love your wellness scent in particular. Yours are so gorgeous, sophisticated, exquisite, elevated. Obviously, I'm obsessed, but there's no denying that there's something different than the usual sort of lavender and sage that is it that your oils are just a different level in terms of the quality or is it in the mixing like why is it so next level like it really is <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're so no kind way. for saying that obviously quality matters the way you grow stuff especially for us we really treat plant life as something that uh, needs to be honored, such as we believe that plucking plants after sundown interferes with their energy mm. to sort of like thrive, which is why Ayurvedically, plants go to sleep. So we honor the cycle of the sun when harvesting and things like that. So there are so many quality metrics that go into especially harvesting and extraction of essential oils that present in how an aroma will speak to you, which of course is is, I like to believe, very true of our oils. But there's a couple of things. One is when we launched Uma, we had a lot of formulas, but we launched everything from the queen and the princess portfolio of things. And what, mm -hmm. what that simply meant was those were very, very, very exacting clients, if you will. Now you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so there were two things going on in that they desired or exacted a level of complexity in every blend mm. and aroma that differed very richly from anything that felt commonplace. And then mm. secondly, very often, and this is not to be snobby about it, but mm. very rare fragrances often are things that strike your nose differently. And they're rare because they're very expensive to extract. So our jasmine, our rose, sandalwood, those are extremely expensive fragrances to extract. And often their portfolio of products featured some of those. So a combination of a working on the complexity of developing something that really, really felt different and had all those wellness benefits, but also was very, very appealing to the nose mm -hmm. combined with the actual ingredient that went into it is why some of the stuff might smell and feel different. And the reason why we pulled, or rather I made the decision to pull from that was, you know, I talked about Ayurveda being available to everyone. And I really hope that everyone sort of takes a little bit or a lot from it in terms of breathing meditations, the yoga, etc. Yeah. Products should bring you pleasure. It's not that you need a necessarily a product, but it's sort of like that thing that you do for yourself because it makes you feel 
like a million bucks. And that's what you spend like a, on a great glass of wine or a vacation or the product. And yeah, a bath that you like. I it, literally, when I get in your wellness bath, I, I'm just smelling that scent. I have the candles right at the uh, when I, where you come in at my house so that you know how when you come into someone's house and you smell like an incredible smell people always say oh, what is that and it's and it's your unlit candles <laughs> sorry i could go on oh thank you and you said it so eloquently and so passionately in that products can be a statement of a person and that was my desire that they represent an extension of you, an extension of that journey within yourself you like to take when you take a bath. And they can be a very meaningful way to ignite your self-care and your meditation ritual. So mm-hmm. I wanted them to be very pleasurable. What do you find are the most powerful oils for mood? I'll start with the caveat that the body knows best. So trust Trust what your nose and brain are telling you because two people often react to the same aromas very, very differently based on just what their body tells them. Mm -hmm. But in no particular order, here are a few I love and they make their way into all the pure calm and the pure bliss within the Uma repertoire. I love vetiver. Vetiver has something called sesquiterpenes, which has a very grounding effect on the mind, the body, the heart. Sandalwood is beloved for confidence boosting. I'm not talking about the confidence that you necessarily need. It works for that as well to go and kill it in a room, but the confidence Mm -hmm. within yourself to know that, you know, it's going to be all right or that you have everything within you to navigate a tough circumstance. I love chamomile. Chamomile and vetiver give our oils that signature green brown color because it has a lot of azulene, a lot of Azulene is also in blue tansy. It's both mm-hmm. great for skincare as well as basically calming the mind and body and helping us tap into our parasympathetic nervous system. A lot of the anxiety that we feel today is because a lot of us have be- become very disconnected with our parasympathetic nervous system. And that's mm. chamomile allows us to tap deeper into that. I love rose. I love jasmine for happiness. So <laughs> I remember being in India and smelling jasmine in India for the first time versus I grew up in California. There's plenty of jasmine. And it was just a next level smell also. It's such a like a sweet, in a good way, overwhelming smell in, in yes. India. There is like a certain earthiness to it. But there is there is a happiness around jasmine what about oils for skin like for breakouts or for boosting glowy skin I know you guys love Vinner's Daughter and it's a great, great oil. One mm-hmm. of the things that we have in common in our neck serum is the Manu. So I'll, I'll throw that out. Now, speaking of smells, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting smelling oil. Tamanu has a very particular scent and <laughs> and I feel almost like we have to like pare it down in the formulation we have because it's it's a very distinct smell. But it's it's a fantastic oil for skincare. I love frankincense. Tamanu, we believe it heals like both sort of bigger injuries as well as microscopic injuries that the skin really 
undergoes day in, day out because of the environment we're in, because of things that we're going through in our day with. And it is indeed a very healing oil. I personally love within the essential oil round things like neroli and citruses for mm. there is some research to support that while essential oils don't have any vitamin C on their own, some mm. research has shown they might help the absorption of vitamin C into the skin. So let's say you have a great vitamin oh. C serum because they came from the same sort of plant base, like neroli comes from orange blossoms, orange comes from orange oil comes from the peel, and so on. There is some research to say that they can up the ante on absorption of a great vitamin C serum. So I, I love those for that reason. I love frankincense. It's believed to support sort of natural texture and cells and so on in the skin. And then there are carriers I love. I think, Megan, you were talking about sort of clarifying and acne. Acne-prone skin produces less of something that actually makes their sebum stickier. It's something called linoleic acid that the skin naturally produces. And when we produce less of it, our natural oil is stickier, causing more aggravation from bacteria, more clogging, all of that stuff. Grapeseed has a lot of linoleic acid. So what it does is helps that sebum break down so the skin feels less inflamed. And it's a carrier oil. It's very affordable, of course. Look out for quality. But I love that for acne-prone skin. I love of course, all of us know tea tree, lavender yeah. is coming off inflammation. Turmeric is a great, great oil. One caution is it stains the skin, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, I can get away with it because it doesn't show that much on like my skin type. But if you're pale, I put it be on careful. it. Yeah. <laughs> be careful with like pure turmeric because it can sort of show up on your skin. But it is the curcumarin is very, very good for skin. So I love that. I love clove, but that's a very potent essential oil that one should be very careful with. So clove in small quantities is fantastic. But again, word of caution, just like you wouldn't use a 5% retinol, you're using it 0.25. People forget that just because natural products are available without regulation, they too carry the potency of some of the stuff that you will never put a 5, 7, 10% of directly on your skin. I love it for acne prone skin, but again, highly, highly, highly diluted. Mm. Okay. Western culture's approach to aging is similar to its approach to health in that we want quick fixes and magic wrinkle creams to reverse processes overnight that have been developing for years. How is the Ayurvedic approach different? I think the first thing is the topical nature versus the 360 nature of Ayurvedic approaches to anti-aging. So while the Ayurvedic approach to anti-aging will absolutely encompass topicals in your repertoire, but it will also encompass things which inherently foster the idea of Rasayana. Rasayana is, for lack of a better word, the life force liquid that runs through you and Mm. is very vital when you're much younger. And as we age, the body needs a little bit more of that in every sense. Your joints, your hair, your scalp, the dryness of your skin. So there are things that 
help your rasayana within your body, whether it is the consumption of foods that are good in good fats and staying away from things that desiccate you from the inside and that will desiccate even your joints like a lot of coffee is not that great for skin it will dehydrate it from inside so there are things within your diet profile that you'll be asked to take care of there will be things about your rest and sleeping that you will be asked to take care of when thinking about aging in ayurveda there will be things about what exercises you are taking on and the breathing mm-hmm. meditations you're doing. So that's a major difference. But then coming to skincare, the one big difference is how much, for lack of a better word, damage Ayurveda recommends to the skin mm-hmm. when, when pairing off nourishing ver- uh, versus that, which is why you won't see a lot of procedures and things that are like very common treatments. in exactly in doctors offices because inherently as you do a lot of them they might dehydrate your skin if you're constantly mm. getting a microdermabrasion and everything exists in moderation today yeah but ayurveda would sort of tell you to take the gentler approach to whether it is through gomages or silk laced cloth to polish your skin off etc there's a gentler approach nut powders and so on we talked about oils and constantly restoring the skin and its barriers and all of that. So you'll see a lot of rich things like bananas, avocado, nuts going into face masks, honey going into face masks because it's a natural humectant, anti-inflammatories. And then you've got a lot of oils that you are working with. Lots and lots of massages are very central to Ayurvedic formats of anti-aging. Are wrinkles, are they reviled in Ayurveda or are they (laughs) honestly when you look at Ayurvedic texts there is not sort of mention of uh, that per se but more about holistic rejuvenation of the skin Okay, and there is also a lot of work and mention around thriving from the inside as opposed to sort of picking off certain topical issues you might have concerns around. And it's a great question because I've really scoured the the texts to see Mm -hmm. what is in Sanskrit, the interpretation of wrinkles. But wrinkles (laughs) in particular doesn't doesn't show up a lot. With that said, the corollaries are brightened, youthful skin that always looks like internally you're as revitalized as you are externally. And there's a lot of stuff on that within Ayurveda, including things like saffron milk and saffron ghee, and which is among the most expensive internal oleations we produce because saffron's so expensive. But yeah. apparently that gave you sort of the bright skin of uh, a princess. That's telling that it's not in the Sanskrit, that wrinkles isn't this big thing. But I like that. Going back to, to your products, your packaging is just so beautiful. If if people want to give it as a gift, you don't even have to wrap it. It's just, it's so pretty. The bottles, the box comes in. How did you land on the design? That was a fun journey. I first tried design firms here and I felt like there was a very clean white and black sort of like the 
the stunning Chanel-style aesthetic that repeatedly presented itself in various avatars mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. same thing, the Scandinavian <laughs> purity, the French yeah. sensibility, when right. I said luxury. And I was like, it's beautiful, but it has no parts of what feels Indian or organic or floral. And then, <laughs> and then yeah. I went back to India and it was almost too much of that that even my sensibility stood a little bit sort of shaken by that explosion of color. So I ended up having my sister who's who studied art and fashion sketch mm. out sort of like the florals that I want that were going to be in our ingredient profile. And then we went with a, a Spanish sort of independent firm to bring it all together because somehow they really got what we were going for in terms of sort of the contemporary sensibility of black and white, but not losing the the pop of color, the gold that I felt represented my heritage and the India I know and love. That's so cool. (laughs) It is just some of the most beautiful packaging I've ever seen. Both Megan and I are obsessed with your oil pulling oil. Oh. My, like, <laughs> my, my teeth are white. My breath is fresh. I'd never thought that I'd spend 20 minutes in the morning swishing oil in my mouth. I've gotten packages of pulling oil before and thought, yeah, I should try this. And it never, never want to try it. And then I get this gorgeous, beautiful package convinces me. You've got this bottle that you have that has flowers and things on it. It just, it looks so pretty on the counter. It now is sitting on my counter with like one drop left because I'm sort of hoarding it. (laughs) And I loved it. What have you always done oil pulling and what's the idea behind it? The idea behind oil pulling is the notion within Ayurveda, food and digestion are the most important things for your well-being in every way. The digestive system is supposed to be the most revered of, well, for lack of a better word, organs. And because it's doing so much work, it does produce toxins on a daily, hourly, minutely basis. I just invented a word there or something. (laughs) And, And they sort of accumulate all over your digestive tract and your tongue and your mouth being the first sort of hot beds for that. The idea behind oil pulling is it starts to sort of pull through at about five or six minutes. In fact, there's now science and research behind it. Really? Uh, back, yes. It's, and in yeah. fact, the five or six minutes is important because sometimes you're tempted to sort of like just regurgitate for three minutes like you would for my mouthwash. I try to tell mm-hmm. people just go on through the sixth or seventh minute because that's when yeah. the bacteria start binding from the mouth area to the oils. Hmm. And it's supposed to sort of clear your entire gut first thing in the morning of all these little creatures that are binding, creating at the surface level just bad breath, but also bad toxins as they live and breathe in areas that they're not supposed to breathe. So it's a great detoxification ritual, not just for your mouth, but your entire digestive tract. I mean, obviously, there are other great benefits that emerge, which is shinier, whiter teeth. Yeah, I really noticed your teeth. It's really dramatic difference. Yeah. Doing it for like a month. 
everyone across the board talks about that. As in, like, I think a, a hundred out of hundred poll would support that. <laughs> in and of itself, that itself is great. Sort of like the healthier gums, especially because in the West, we struggle with sort of gum strength and yeah. things like that. When yeah. you're sort of like really taking that comprehensive cleanup of your mouth every day, the fact that you're sort of massaging, your cheeks are going back and forth. There's, it's an inadvertent massage, even for your cheeks and your entire face. It's really pumping blood. It's really an all-round fantastic ritual in Ayurveda because of all these benefits, deep and superficial. The superficial is not to be undermined. Sesame, coconut oil are great to do it with. But going back to sort of the pleasure rituals that were made for princesses and queens, this features Mm -hmm. some of the beautiful essential oils that adds that pizzazz to it, the peppermint, and that really adds the freshness to the breath, the clove that really goes in and kills bacteria. Clove has eugenol, which every dentist in the world uses. Clove is the um, uh, best naturally occurring. Yes, they use it for any dental aches and pains. Turmeric, which is anti-inflammatory. So yeah, it's just spiked with some amazing things that, that make it a more fun ritual. It's delightful. Even the peppermint can be super harsh if you stick it with the sesame, but the way you've blended it, it's like everything else you make. It's it's like sophisticated and a pleasure. Yeah, Certainly in this country, people have embraced Ayurveda, yoga, all these things in in varying degrees. (laughs) Do you have any feelings about where the line between legitimate Ayurvedic practice is and cultural cultural appropriation? I've thought about that question, especially in light of recent things. And here's how I'll say it with some confidence because I really have read a lot of the scripture and things in my in my study of it mm-hmm. I think Ayurveda was intended to belong to everyone if you go through Ayurvedic scriptures there is absolutely nothing that differentiates between colors of skin, your faith-based approaches, everything was very generously created for all the environment and everything within it. So I think that there is absolutely no problem with anybody sort of taking these words of wisdom and making it their own. With that said, I think that everyone that takes on these words of wisdom has a fundamental responsibility when they're using it for commerce. Keep in mind that you're taking from something that you have as much responsibility to give back to. And the first one, I think, is expertise. That Mm -hmm. don't say things that you don't fully understand. And by that, I mean, say things like give people suggestions of doing things that may not make Ayurvedic sense, yeah. like coming up with a recipe with and calling it Ayurvedic if it involves lots of fish and dairy cooked together, because uh-huh. then it's not Ayurvedic, because in Ayurveda, you shouldn't eat fish and dairy together. Just because it has turmeric in it, it's not Ayurvedic. I think that is where sort of boundaries of some worry around appropriation comes in because then you haven't put in the work to understand. My worry about appropriating something is it's not not giving its sentiments its due. Question about hair oil. (laughs) So so people people sort of think of hair oil as being only for thick, coarse, curly hair. 
Is that true? Or do you think it can work for thinner hair? Obviously, they use oil for everything in Ayurveda. In fact, if anything, in Ayurveda, we believed that it's more necessary for thinner, scantier hair because we believe yes yes absolutely things like yerba de tago and hibiscus and a lot of plants are studied for their oil capabilities just so that you can have stronger thicker more robust hair and if Mm -hmm. anything within india hair oil is recommended to everybody but more so for people who weren't quite as lucky as some of the others who were born with this like beautiful thick head of hair. Yes. In India, oils are treated as treatment and there's an entire ritual around it. Like every Saturday, I think a lot of Indian girls and certainly those who grew up in India, like Priyanka Chopra talks about it, like how we got hair oil massages, because we had to sleep with it overnight before washing our hair on Sunday. Ritualistically, hair oil has always been used as a treatment for everything to prevent hair fall, to keep your scalp free of dandruff and any other things that might develop in it that might, such as buildup that might lead to hair fall, to prevent premature graying before it's time so that it ages better so that the hair shaft grows strong and long and you don't get split ends. All of that is Ayurveda and hair oil. And I mean, most girls my age definitely grew up with that being a massive part of their Saturday ritual. And wait, I just, my question is immediately, what kind of pillowcase do you use? (laughs) (laughs) I'll throw two things out. So I go kind of crazy with my oil treatments. I'll do like the full-on blend with like castor and coconut and other things that I like blend with curry leaves and this is at home. So if I do this like full-on ritual, then I sleep with a little bit of towel. And I mean, at that point, my hair is like stuck to my head. (laughs) Uh, With that said, most of the time I use the Uma Intensely Nourishing uh, Hair Oil expressly made with, with the Western sensibility in mind in that it's lightweight there's no comedogenic oil in it so that you can sleep on whatever pillowcase you want and it will never leave a residue oh so good i've never slept in it i put it on before my sauna but i've never slept in a no better time than quarantine to try true it sounds like the benefits of hair oil are your scalp and your hair is that Correct? That Very, very much so. Because everything within Ayurveda, you go back to the roots of it. Mm-hmm. And the nurturing of the roots starts at the scalp, which is how you strengthen, you massage, you take care of it. And that's very much the intent with hair oiling in Ayurveda. And what about self-massage? So self-massage for face and body are Ayurvedic rituals that are pretty buzzy here too right now. How does self-massage benefit skin? And can it really calm anxiety? There are two or three things that a massage is exceptional for that leads to better skin that day 
that week, that month, and over time. One is boosting blood circulation. It is great to sort of get all the blood moving with a nice massage on your body. And then Mm -hmm. the second thing is, of course, adding something like a dry brush can help Mm -hmm. you with, with getting the lymph moving. But massages can also sort of help do that. And the better your body goes through a lymphatic detox aided by things that you might be doing to help it, the better it strengthens itself from everything from sort of immunity to, and Jean, you're a big brusher, dry brusher. I'm sure you feel that skin does glow after dry brushing. The third angle of that, especially let's say you're massaging your face and maybe you're gently tapping under the eye area, it can get any pooled blood out. Pooled blood is often the reason why we see some of those dark circles we see. Of course, a bit of it is genetic as well. So there's so many great benefits that come from a massage and sort of like leaning into sort of that that calming angle. And this is a more esoteric part of Ayurveda, which is the concept of marma points. There are 107 marma points, which range from easily accessible and good for you to at the extreme end is something like an Achilles heel, which should only be sort of manipulated by very trained practitioners. If you were to do a very intense Ayurvedic sort of detox, They'll manipulate the marma points in a way that you'll actually see smells emanating out of your body and not pleasant smells, but because that's your body uh, getting rid of toxins. Yes. So marma points in the body, there are some that are encouraged manipulation of. They exist in the right in the middle of the palm and the fleshy area of your hand, as well as the bottom of your foot and sort of the fleshy area of your heel. They're believed to aid in sort of circulation and posture, as well as especially the ones in the hands can even relax you when you're trying to go to bed. Sort of massaging that area, that fleshy part between the forefinger and the thumb can be a very deeply relaxing mechanism to sort of roll off to sleep, really lean into the interconnectivity of your body and all the muscle tendons and how they come together. Because the body is very, very smart. It evolved over such a long period of time. And there's there's things you can do to help yourself every day. Oh, I will say every <laughs> night I rub my feet with either the calm oil I don't really have trouble sleeping, but I just feel like why not add some calm? Or I love the absolute anti-aging, the balm. I just love that scent so much. And it feels so good on my feet. But now I feel like I should do my hands too. <laughs> why Why stop, Chin? These investments pay back 20, 30 acts. I mean, I like my mother didn't have a single gray hair till she was like in her mid-50s. I mean, I saw my first one at like 30 with like my excessive coffee drinking and throw out a laundry list of my habits, which differed quite significantly from my mother's self-care practices. But they do. I mean, I've seen that firsthand in a lot of my family and uh, a lot of Ayurvedics that truly live and breathe the word every day. They're living the best life. (laughs) So in terms of your personal routine and Ayurveda, like... What are what things are you super 
consistent with? How much is regimented it or in a groove and how much goes in and out? I'll start that out with sort of maybe borrowing from a tenet of Ayurveda of moderation. So there are certain things that I will not skip on. So whether it is tongue scraping, I'm very good about dry brushing also because as a gotten older, cellulite genetically has presented as more of a problem. And I find Mm -hmm. that it's greatly helpful. A little bit of a self-massage, both on the face as well as my body before my shower. I do put a little bit of oil in my belly button before I go to bed. What does that do? What does the belly button oil do? It the sort of like the first and surface level thing it will do is really hydrate the skin. It's amazing, Ooh. especially if you can sort of like get a good ghee or we use mustard oil. The, the first thing it'll do is really hydrate you from the inside out. So in about a week's time, the first thing you'll notice it is on your mouth. Your chapped lips are gone. No so way. That, oh. That's so <laughs> that's cool. What, it is. It really is. Yeah. Especially if you're going through a especially bad bout, it'll show up even faster. Yeah. And if you wear nice night clothes, I don't just throw on some cotton so that it doesn't mm-hmm. sort of like stick out. Yeah. But there. Those are some of the things I do. As I mentioned, I am vegetarian and there are things I do for my dosha. I present as pitta dosha. So mm-hmm. I try to keep even though I love spices, there are things that I'm mindful of that I won't do too much of a spice, especially when I know, let's say, I'm aggravating my body a lot. So I eat sensibly, but, you know, it's not all smoothies and fruits and nut butters Mm -hmm. by any means. (laughs) There's this like moderation and sensibility around that. And then there are sort of things that I set myself a weekly or a monthly target to. Those things are breathing meditations or transcendental meditation. Mm. I try three times a week. It can happen anywhere. <laughs> TMing or relate, yes. <laughs> TMing. We all at Goop we had a chance to learn TM. So I do it, but yes, it's one of those things that you're like, oh, I forgot today. Oh. The great thing is you you can do it next time. And I will say that every time I do it, I palpably sort of see the difference a few weeks (laughs) in a row and uh, things such as a breathing meditation number of yoga sessions I can get in just a little bit but sort of like that comprehensive 30 minutes or 45 minutes I try to book in two to three times a week so my body does feel that in a big way and that's that's how I run my life. The most, most important thing that I have found as a guide and an anchor is trying to listen to my body. So timetables and everything goes out of the window when I really know that I should focus in on these things. And ignoring them is the biggest disservice I think I could do. So it's just about sort of fine tuning that intuition and really leaning in when your body really needs to lean in. Well, you certainly, I mean, you make it so appealing, like a lot of these practices, so appealing and so beautiful instead of just like, oh, I've got to put in my navel oil. It's like something that smells incredible and it's this beautiful experience. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you, ladies. Always fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming on. That was an amazing one. I just love her. 
I love her, of her. course. I love her stuff that she makes. I can't get enough of it. And she's so elegant and she knows everything about every yeah. oil on the planet. It's so cool. It is. It is. And she's just Wait, I have mm-hmm. a question. Did that the castor oil thing, you know, she was saying like castor oil to go to the bathroom. Did that really do you think that really helped you go into labor? Like I mean, it's crazy. a it's a common thing. People say take it like a I don't know what the amount is, but like a teaspoon. It was I remember I I learned about it when I was pregnant. And castor oil is in like a lot of lip balm and a lot of lipstick and that sort of thing. So I did this, I wrote this thing about how like I wanted to use Francois Nars's lip balm <laughs> and like re- and and eat it but before I was when I wanted to go into labor and it would be like the most glamorous thing to do yeah kind of would be um <laughs> you're like let me eat this NARS lip balm <laughs> but I did take it I I was a day late and I was just like this is I, I for out. some reason I expected like you know at the when you're the at the end of being pregnant you're really ready to be done being pregnant and yeah. so I expected like this is my due date it's the day it's going to happen and nothing happened and I was like the next day I took castor oil and I I did go into labor I don't know that 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 was it but yeah. I, it certainly doesn't it certainly is something that like I know midwives will pull out every once in a while um, yeah. and they, they definitely you know if you're pregnant you should never ever take it unless you're unless ready to go into labor. Well, I just it's just so interesting when different remedies are used in different countries and like yeah. castor oil like my family's Jamaican and that they say that too like they like swear by it there. So yeah. it's just, like there's got to be truth to these things if they're popping up in different places, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's the the thing I think about face oil. Like it, uh-huh. when I when I first heard about it, I was like, yeah, people have been using face oil for thousands of years. years. Yeah. They have they've been using moisturizer ever since some guy probably invented it, you know, fairly recently. Right. You know, right. Do, like so how people have been making themselves look beautiful for centuries, it's got to be a little wisdom to that, you know? <laughs> it's like, There's got to be something to it. Yeah. Yeah. I I would love to do like a full like Panchakarma. I, I want to go to your guy in Queens. I want to you know like what? never. He was sexist, it seemed, which is why really? I stopped going. Yeah. He was sexist? <laughs> he, he said like he was super traditional and mm-hmm. he just he said some things that rubbed me the wrong way. He was good, but like I, I was like, I can't see you anymore. <laughs> well, I remember I used to go to a yoga studio long ago and they would they would say before the class, they'd be like, if you, you know, have your period, you need to get up and leave. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Oh. And I'm sure that's a traditional, you totally. know, thing. Yeah. And I yeah, same deal. I'd be I found a different yoga studio because I just was not into that message. Wow. Yeah. I mean, fine, I'll respect it if it's if it's the the tradition, but yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, well, I loved, I really loved what she said sort of in that vein of taking that the idea that Ayurveda is for, for everyone and that mm-hmm. you can sort of take what you need and not beat yourself up with not having followed every possible. Yeah. I think we tend to be so extreme here in the West, like we're Definitely. like, okay, you know, I'm going to go on a cleanse and eat nothing but celery, yeah. you know, that, like that you kind talk. of thing. There's that that super intense side as well as the very intense indulgence that we're willing to right. <laughs> go right. into. And some of my friends, my boyfriend always kids me about like giving myself too much of a break. Like I'm always kind of cutting <laughs> myself a break, but I, I do think it's the key to happiness and not being under too much stress. Yeah, I do too. Like you 
you know, we live once we think. So yeah. why not make things feel good? Yeah. And I loved I I loved the idea of that oil sort of loosened everything up in your body. I mean, there, yeah. there was the digestive angle, but also just, yeah, that you want to feel loose and flexible and yeah. You yeah. know, will, able to able to be flexible rather than brittle. You know. Yeah, I love that too, and and I also love the the aging sentiment, like mm. it, the fact that you know wrinkles weren't even in weren't, the scriptures. The <laughs> yeah, and that they focused on what to do internally and bright skin because that is beautiful, like wrinkles, but your skin is bright and alive and radiant. I mean, yeah. That's well, what we I want. We always talk about that at Goop, and it's weird when when Shrankla was talking about it. It made me think. You know, I was I was lucky enough to get to go to India once, and I was with a bunch of editors. And at one point, we went. We decided to go see this temple that was kind of up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. There were all these monkeys in the temple, and you know, it was it was kind of a, a tourist spot. But we kept kind of going further and further up into it. You know, there were many buildings further up in the mountains. We kept going up and up and up. And then there was one building that I stopped at and Mm -hmm. there was a monk and he was like, do you want to see this light that's been burning for 400 years? And I mean, it could totally have been, you know, like a (laughs) silly tourist attraction or whatever. And I said, yes. And I started... I think I took off my shoes and we started going down all these passageways and it was almost like rock passageways, you know, it was just very, and it was dark. And I was like, what am I doing? Am I about to like end my own life? You know, what, (laughs) what, like, what am I doing? But I just, I I was alone. Yeah. And they were all like, where the hell did she go? You know, whatever. (laughs) But I trusted him for whatever reason. I, you know, I felt like he really wanted me to see it. Yeah. And so I went down there and it was, you know, it was like twists and turns and it's almost like being in a cave. You're going down and down and down. And then we got to this room and there was a little sort of, you know, like altar in it. And there was this kind of a little pot that had this flame going. Yeah. And they were like, this flame has been going for 400 years, I think was what it was. And I just sat, they said, you can sit here for a little bit. And so I did. And, and that was it. When she was talking about that, in terms of maintaining aging, that maintaining that sort of life force inside yeah. yourself, yeah. like my head immediately went to that like went little light inside that mountain, that idea that you can, you know, keep the, I don't know, the essence of yourself going and, yeah. and keep your curiosity and your, you know, your, I do think a lot of it is, is not becoming too set in your ways. Like my mom says. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's also been a recurring theme in our podcast with these amazing people we talk to, being flexible mm. and just adapting and yeah. evolving. Staying alert and having all your senses fine-tuned and ready to go, like you're smelling these incredible jasmine flowers or whatever it is you're smelling that day and you're, all your yeah. nerve endings are alive because you're dry brushing and you're yeah. I I loved it. She kept saying with lots of massages and I was like, yes, lots of uh-huh. massages. That's what I want. <laughs> that sounds so good. Between that and the jasmine in India, I was just oh. like, it, it was a treat to hear her talk about things oh. in India. Yeah. Oh, that was That's something I noticed in India. Like you, you know, you can literally, she, she, well, the smells were just like, I, there's no other way to say the next level. Like yeah. I smell Jasmine, even in a market in India, you know, not 
the fanciest Jasmine even. Yeah. She was talking about earthy. I I didn't even find it that way. I was just like, this is the most powerfully beautiful smell. Like I can't even. And I remember I bought like a necklace. They sell necklaces of jasmine. And I so I bought one in the market oh and I God. kept it in my suitcase. And I brought it home and it was like a year before it stopped smelling incredible. Wow. And it was just flowers. You know, it didn't have. Yeah, any- that is magical. So on the site, I do a column called Megan Tries It, and you do one called Ask Jean, and we get a whole bunch of beauty questions. And we're going to answer them all here, right now. (laughs) Yes. So should we get into today's Ask Me Anythings? Or maybe ask us anything? Yes. And if anyone's listening and has a question they want us to answer here, just send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. It could be about self-tanner, crow's feet, dry shampoo, parabens, our favorite bath soak, non-toxic lube. Or anything else. Now to today's question. Okay, here's a question from Lexa L. She says, I love Goop skincare and have all the products. (laughs) Amazing. Goop Glow Super Powder, Microderm, 15% Peel Pads, Goop Jeans Face Cream and Eye Cream, and Gtox Tonic. How do I do a routine with all the Goop Glow, Goop Jeans, and Gtox products? <laughs> oh, my God. A big yeah. Goop fan. Good question. <laughs> well, okay. So so all the products are, are sort of designed to be used. Like, you, you can use them together. Nothing's going to make something else stop working or anything like that. But you, you just want to be careful with, like, over-exfoliating, for instance, and overdoing it in that sense. So – for the, for the Goop Glow line, which is one of my favorite lines, there's the Microderm Instant Glow Exfoliator, and then there's the Peel Pad. And you don't want to do those together. You want to wait like 24 hours before. <laughs> at least, yeah, because they're, they're both really powerful, and the Peel Pads are especially really powerful. It's, you know, there's that 15% glycolic acid one, and then the 5% one for sensitive So both skin. of them are just to just, be used once a week. Those that you don't want to use them more than right. once a week, and you don't want to use the microderm around around the time that you're using it. So you know, 24 yeah. hours at least sort of depends on your skin. So you you want yeah you want to be careful to not to not over exfoliate. So so one thing to know is that the Goop Glow microderm and the Goop Glow peel pads, both the 15% and the 5%, and the Gtox tonic, those three products have alpha hydroxy acids. So you have to be really careful using those together because you don't want to over. You don't want to double up. You don't want to give yourself, you know, treat with alpha hydroxy acids and then treat again, you know, shortly later. It's going to irritate your skin. So you want to space those out. However, because they are different forms, they can be really great in conjunction with one another. So like, how do you use, like you use like the microderm and Gtox? Yeah, I'll, I'll do microderm and then I'll, at night I'll do microderm and then I'll put on Gtox as sort of my nighttime treatment, my nighttime overnight treatment. Do you use them in the same session? Oh. I do. Yeah. Yeah. But not with movement. What do you do? I use the peel pads once a week, and then I just have the microderm in the shower, and I usually shower every other day or so. And if I haven't just use the peel pads. I, I do the microderm in the shower because I feel like my skin is already wet. So it's going to do its most effective work. <laughs> and it just feels really good to get yeah. out of the shower and be like all like polished and everything ready to go. And that's yeah, a benefit. Absolutely. 
all of these products, anything with alpha hydroxy acids, anything exfoliating, gets rid of the dead skin cells and dry skin and other debris that get in the way of, say, if you're using a treatment product or even just a moisturizer. If you exfoliate, that moisturizer or that treatment can get through and be more effective. Also, if you're skin is wet, it's also more effective. So you can really <laughs> make these things work together in terms of alpha yeah. hydroxy acids. And like Goop Glow Super Powder that she mentions, you know, you can drink that. Uh, it definitely doesn't have any effect on other things working. It only, it just adds antioxidants from the inside out. We believe at Goop that beauty comes from within and that Goop Glow Powder, it's that nice citrusy drink. I like to have it every day. So talking about Talking about the fact that like moisturizers will work better if you're using alpha hydroxy acids. You know, I love to do like a microderm, and then when I get out of the shower, I put on face cream, the Goop Jeans face cream, and it like super sinks mm-hmm. in because I've just cleared away all the dead stuff and you know stuff your skin doesn't need. Everything's smooth, and the the cream can really penetrate. Yeah, it really does make a difference. And the combination, I mean, alpha hydroxy acids actually long ago were invented for for extremely dry skin. You know, even though it seems counterintuitive that they're they're stripping away skin and that that would be terrible for dry skin, it's actually how to treat an extreme form of dry skin called ichthyosis. (laughs) And then the last thing I do after after that, like the ultimate sort of smooth, glowy skin, you know, do the microderm, put on the face cream. And then definitely go in with some eye cream. Like there's not a makeup artist on the planet that doesn't put eye cream on before they start makeup. Everybody looks better with their skin around their eyes, a little plumped up and supple and moisturized. Thanks again for joining us on The Beauty Closet. You can learn more about our new podcast series at goop.com slash beautyclosetpodcast. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the podcast and share it with a friend.